right about then, I remember just basically, I, I was laying on my bed reading this stuff, and I remember just sitting up, bolt upright in, in my bed, and, and, and just thinking, I'm a Christian. I believe this stuff. I believe it. Okay, a couple of weeks goes by, or go by, and my dad comes over to visit. And he just comes in to say hi or whatever. And when he's leaving, he gets in the car and, and I walked out to the car. And I looked in through the driver's side window and I said, hey dad. I said, would you pick me up for church on Sunday? And he didn't even turn his head to look at me. He just stared straight ahead, hands on the steering wheel, and he nodded. <laughs> Well, hello and welcome to another heartwarming episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken as we dig into the childhood and formation <laughs> of my esteemed co-host, Ken Hensley. I'm Matt Swaim. We thank you for joining us on this, uh, which is a production of the Coming Home Network International. You can find us online at chnetwork.org. That's where you can find all kinds of stories and resources and things of that nature. But you can also, if you're interested in being in conversation with people who are at, are at very various stages of interest in the Catholic faith. Uh, those conversations are all going on in our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. Ken, are you ready for me to turn the tables on you after you just like put the microscope on me for the past five weeks? <laughs> um, I believe so. I'm here. I'll start to say something. Okay, well, sounds good. Well, before you do, I just want to remind people that the reason that we've been doing this format, um, where after five weeks of a deep dive into my own story um, and how I ended up in the Catholic Church, uh, we're going to do a deep dive into yours. But this uh, line of questioning and, this, and the way that we approach the themes uh, is basically connected with the way that we do our Coming Home, Coming Home Network retreats, uh, where we dig into these as a group together. And if you're in one of those retreats, and especially if you are someone who, like Ken, was a Baptist pastor at one point, please do contact us if you're interested in going on one because we do have scholarships available for those in active ministry. So, Ken, we get to talk about how you how you found Jesus today, right? That's right. That's right. You know, and I, you've been describing these in terms of the retreat. I've been describing it in another way that fits together that rather than d deep diving into theological issues as we've been doing for over a year now, we wanted to back up and just kind of in a personal way tell our own stories um, of how we came to Christ, how we came to the Catholic faith ultimately, and that's what I'm going to begin today. So you tell me if, you are, if you're giving me the green light, and I'm going to be speaking to you, Matt. You're the only face I see, so it's kind of odd having there a you go. personal conversation with no one. Right, until we reveal it to the world, I suppose. But uh, okay. I'd say just take us back to the beginning, Ken. I want to know what the what world baby Ken mm -hmm. was born into. Well, I, I do hear rumors that I was born, so I think you're right on that one. But listen, um, okay, the beginning. Uh, I was raised when Quirinius in was California. governor of Syria. You know, <laughs> no, just, no, we're not going back that far, are we? No, not quite, not quite. 
I was, first of all, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, I was not raised in a non-Christian home. You know, we weren't an atheist home, you know, uh, self-consciously Buddhist or Hindu or anything like that. In fact, we had a Bible. My mother bought my brother and my sister and I, Roxanne, Ken, and Bob, bought us this lovely King James family Bible when I was about nine years old. So we had that in the house, and I remember starting to read it a couple times, maybe making it through about the story of Noah. And um, we also had a picture of Jesus hanging over the over the doorway into the hallway. And so, I mean, in, in terms of a basic moral foundation, it was a Christian home, but we didn't go to church. My mother had been raised in Texas in kind of a Methodist background. My father had been raised on a farm in Oregon, a very fundamentalist Baptist background. In fact, his father was a farmer who uh, doubled as a Baptist preacher on the weekends. So they both had a background, but but the but the home I was born into was not... We didn't go to church. We weren't a Christian home. In fact, the main uh, defining issue of my early years was the divorce of my parents. Um, my mom and dad divorced when I was, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, something like that. I still remember my mother picking a, a, my sister and my brother and I up from elementary school, bringing us home. She made us ice cream floats and whatnot and set us down at the dining room table to tell us that, um, that our father had asked for a divorce. He hadn't been around for a while. Uh, he hadn't li- lived with us, but I didn't really know what was happening. Um, so they divorced, and that was a, a hurricane uh, blowing through my family. Okay, now scroll forward a bit. When I'm about 10 years old, Matt, my dad decided that his three kids needed to be in church. Now, they, they were divorced, and he had remarried, but he, lived, but he lived close by, and he would come over on Saturday mornings and mow the lawn and hang around a little bit, play catch with us. And uh, he decided his kids needed to be in church. There was his, his, his own background kind of catching up with him, you know. Um, he was not living a good life. In fact, he was a, he was a, a womanizer. He was a, he was a gambler. He was an alcoholic. Um, but he wanted us in church. So he started swinging by on Sunday mornings, uh, picking us up and hauling us down to the local Baptist church, Grace Baptist Church in Riverside, California. And the funniest thing was he wanted us in church but he wasn't necessarily wanting to be in church himself. So my memory is that he would slip us into the pew in the church and that half the time at least, he would just slip out the back door of the church, of the sanctuary, and he would stand in the parking lot and smoke cigars and just kind of like keep the door pried open and look in once in a while to see how we were doing. Um, Crazy situation. Anyway, uh, during that time though, my father, I guess listening to sermons through the, back door of the sanctuary, he, uh, he, he had a radical conversion to Christ. He came into the church. He walked forward at the altar call at the end, you know, and he gave, him, he gave, gave his life to the Lord. And he, he was one of those radical examples. He went home that day. He poured out every bottle of liquor he had in the house down the toilet, never drank again. And his conversion was real, and it was sincere. In fact, my dad became the kind of guy where I don't think he could ever even sit through a church service without having tears in his eyes at some point. He was converted. And um, my brother and sister and I had some kind of experience as well. I remember some evangelists coming through who played, all I remember is he played the accordion. <laughs> he like kind of jumped Wait, what around. Year is, what year is this? Because I need to it's know. Pro- this probably 1963 or 4, 64. Oh, so this is some serious fire-breathing, sweating Baptist yeah. preaching probably. 
yeah, he was, the thing I remember is he could play the accordion and sing, and he had like nearly the entire Bible memorized. I mean, I mean, seriously, when he was preaching, he would just rattle off from memory verse after verse, and he was kind of famous for um, having, you know, the, the entire New Testament and good portions of the Old Testament memorized word, word for word. So I, I don't remember this for sure, but I think that my brother and sister and I all came forward to accept the Lord, you know, when we were, my sister would have been 12, I would have been 10, my brother would have been nine. Um, and I do remember having one spiritual experience from that time in my life, Matt. I went to one of the uh, junior high school winter camps, okay? And this was at a camp called Forest Home in the mountains, San Bernardino Mountains um, in Southern California. And the thing I remember is I remember thinking at the time that I was a real Christian and wondering about the other kids in my cabin, you know, like I, I remember kind of thinking, I'm not sure if they really know the Lord, but I do. So I remember having that thought and I went to the bookstore one day, it was cold, there was snow up there and I went to the bookstore because I wanted something to read and I was look, looking at this little rack of books and spinning it around and this book caught my eye because it had a really cool uh, picture of the devil on the front. And so I grabbed that book and I bought it and I went outside and I have this distinct memory. So I was probably 11 or 12 years old, maybe 13. I don't think so though. Uh, I have this distinct memory of sitting on a big boulder out in the cold and opening this book and reading it. Turns out it was C.S. Lewis's um, screw tape letters. So the first Christian book I ever read in my life was, was that. And I don't know how much I understood of what he was saying. The thing I remember, again, about the experience, I remember reading it. I remember thinking, I really know the Lord. And I remember thinking, this C.S. Lewis guy, whoever he is, is really smart. <laughs> it's totally, totally smart. Well, um, if you were reading thing, this in the 60s, the screw tape letters wouldn't have been out that long, right? Maybe uh, 15 years or so? Probably, Yeah. Somebody's going to mention Probably. in the comments when it actually was released. But yeah, it wouldn't have been out. Yeah. It's not like when I approached it. I mean, when I picked mm -hmm. up screw tape letters, it was one of these books that had always been around forever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, again, I I think I was following quite a bit of the logic of what he was saying. I, I, I understood the drift of the book, but I also remember thinking at the time, this guy is really far beyond me. This guy's like a genius, okay? So um, one more thing about that camp is that I had a camp counselor there, his name was Roger, and uh, he, I still think of Roger, Matt, as though he were an angel of God. And when I, and when I asked myself why, it, it's simply because he talked to me. I, I was like this awkward kid from a broken home who uh, stuttered like a madman and, and had a lot of problems, you know. And he took me for a walk and basically just asked me who I was and talked to me a little bit. And just because of that, I've had this memory my entire life of Roger as though he were like St. Paul himself. Some, you know, so it, it kind of tells you, you know, that you have no idea often the effect that you can have on people when you talk to them. Because that's all he did. That's all he did. Well, I came home from that camp and basically I just sort of quit going to church. So did my brother, so did my sister. I became a rock and roll musician. This is the 60s again. And really, for the next 10 years of my life, uh, Matt, it was music. I started a band when I was in the sixth grade, my first band. And in fact, we, we performed for the first time in the, when I was in the sixth grade at a, 
at a at a talent show at our elementary school. We won. You didn't make me go through this exercise, so I'm going to make you go through this exercise. What were you guys called? Oh, I don't. I don't remember if we had a name at that time. I do remember that we all dressed the same. We looked like the Beach Boys. We had like short sleeve uh, plaid shirts on and slacks, and we only knew two songs. We knew Apache by The Ventures. We played that. Oh wow. And yeah, and then we had a um, an instrumental version of House of the Rising Sun because n- none none of us sang, and none of us was going to sing about <laughs> about a. You well, know. hence why you did the Ventures as your other song. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, we played those two songs. We won the talent contest, and they asked us to do an encore. Well, we didn't know anything else, so we played the same two songs for our encore, and we won a chocolate cake. Um, which the other three guys in the band took home after school. I was on detention. And by the time I got out of detention and got to their house, the cake was gone. Okay, so that's how my musical career began. Anyway, I played music. My life was all about music and all through my teen years, playing at parties, playing at dances, playing at high school proms and all that, and then eventually playing in nightclubs. And so from about the age of 18 to 22, I was playing in nightclubs around Southern California and full-time the last couple of years meeting four hours a night, five nights a week at uh, nightclubs in Riverside and San Bernardino and the surrounding area. So that's what I was doing. And I had nothing to do with, with um, Christianity. In fact, I have memories. You know, we were doing all the usual rock and roll stuff. So everything you can imagine that comes along with being a rock and roll guy in, in 1970, 71, 72, 75, that, that, that was my life. And I do remember us kind of making fun of Christians I remember driving along the street with some friend of mine and um, and the light turned yellow and one of us said, oh, praise the Lord, the light's turning yellow. Apparently God wants us to be careful. And then it turned red and, oh, it's a good thing, you know, now we're stopping. And then, oh, it's green now, the Lord wants us to move forward, you know, just sort of like making fun of the way Christians are or something. Um, but I really didn't have any Christian thoughts during that time. What's funny is that right around that era is really when, um, and I know this because this is shortly before I I was born, right? Right around that era Mm -hmm. is when the Jesus music stuff is on the rise, right? And a lot of it is on the rise right in the part of the country that you're from where suddenly a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of these rock and roll musicians get converted and start doing Jesus music all over the place. (laughs) Did you run into any of that or is that, am I skipping too far ahead or? Well, I will run into that, but no, not 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 at this time. And so, so yeah, I'll come to that. Yeah, Calvary Chapel. It was a big part of my early experience as as a Christian. When when I get there, the the only thing I remember during that time, though, Matt, the, the time that I'm describing to you is I remember being out in my backyard one time. I was probably 20 years old. I was digging a hole with a friend, and this friend was an atheist. Uh, we were planting a bush or something like that. And while we're digging this hole, he said to me. He said, that's all we are, dirt. That's it. And something in me, you know, it's like great, grace was in my life in some way. And something in me just sort of revolted to what he said. And I remember looking up at him and just saying, no, not true. You know? it's, your dust in, and, it's your dust in the wind moment, right? All, you, yeah. all we are is hole in the ground, dirt in the, dirt in the hole, yeah, dirt. right? Yeah, and I don't, remember, I don't remember debating with him, but, but I remember that happening. Okay, so this is what happens. My band is playing full-time the last few years, and we're getting really worn out. Um, there is 
quite a bit of drugs involved and all that. And one of the guys in the band, his name was Bob, who, who had been my best friend for some years. My brother was in the band too. Um, Bob was my, Bob, my friend was my, he was my best friend. And uh, he was really in a bad way. In fact, the band began to break up and it was breaking up partly because he was sinking into depression and was just uh, kind of a nightmare to be around. And we finally just burned out when I was 21. We broke up the band. My brother went to college, went to junior college. My friend has sort of you know slinked off in his depression to do whatever. And I moved up to Lake Tahoe to become a professional card counter, okay? And uh, I was gonna be like Rain Man, although Rain Man wasn't out at the time, I don't think. And this is 1975. So I moved up to Tahoe. I started studying card counting. I started going out into the casinos. I had this big plan. I was going to live four months of the year in Monte Carlo, four months in Las Vegas, and four months in Lake Tahoe. Wait, now, now just, to, just to be clear, you had heard the Baptist preachers back in the day, right? And you realized that you were hitting every single yeah. sin on their list. You know, the sex, yeah. drugs, rock and roll, even the cards, even the card playing. I mean, I'm telling you, Ken. <laughs> I I wasn't thinking about that though. No, I mean really I had drifted far enough away. You know, my dad must have been in misery because from the day, you know, he, he was so excited when we were going to going to church and then we faded away. And I I can see his face now coming in to watch my band play once or twice at the nightclub and and just knowing that he was praying for all of us through all those years. In fact, I remember when I moved up to Tahoe to to play cards. He sent me a gift. It was a little Bible that he had bought in Jerusalem or in, in Bethlehem, you know, with a little wooden wooden uh, uh, binding on it and, you know, made of myrtle wood or whatever. And he sent that to me or olive wood. Yeah, a little olive wood Bible. And so, you know, but no, I was off. I wasn't thinking about these kinds of things. And so I started playing cards and I started to win and I, I just kind of went crazy. I started calling a taxi to come and drive me around everywhere to casinos. I would go into restaurants and leave 100, 100% tips just you know immediately. I'm, I'm literally the day after I won. Well, then I had a bad day and I started to lose and I started to double down and quadruple down and all that. And I lost a, a, a lot of money in one day. I lost enough money to where I wasn't sure if I had enough money left over to start to kind of start over again. And around that time, my brother called me on the phone. He says, come on, Hensley, get back down to Riverside. Let's get the band going again. Let's make some money. And um, so I moved back down to Riverside. Now, during that time, here's where the story moves a step further. During that time, I learned, I heard that my friend Bob, the one that had been in the band and music with me for years and who had left in depression, slinking off into the, in, into the to oblivion really. Um, I heard that he had become a Christian. He was working at a Pickwick bookstore and some people had come by and evangelized him and I heard he'd become a Christian. And I remember thinking, well, I'm glad that I'm up in Tahoe so that he can believe in these fairy stories, you know, if he wants and, and all that. And I, I had this kind of arrogant feeling that if I if I come around him I'll blow him out of out of his daydream, you know. And so it's kind of a good thing that he can enjoy it for a while while I'm gone. Um, that was the attitude I had. Well, when I moved back down to Riverside, Bob came to visit one day, and I can still see myself. I'm sitting in my living room. I'm looking out through the living room window, and Bob pulls up in his car, and he gets out of the car. And I, I swear to you, he got out of his car, and he took two steps onto my front lawn, and I thought to myself, 
this guy's life has been has been totally changed. I could see it. Were, were you thinking about your dad at all when you saw that? Like, was it the I, same kind of feeling or? Uh? I don't remember, but my dad comes back into the story real quick. I, I, I don't remember that. I mean, Bob comes into the house and he had kind of cleaned up his act. You know, he didn't look like, you know, he didn't look like some guy from Haight-Ashbury. You know, he, he looked a little different. And um, he and I began to talk. And this led to weeks and weeks of like walking up and down Magnolia Avenue in Riverside, California for hours, him presenting me with everything that he was learning, um, all of the apologetics that he was beginning to read and, you know, ma making the case for Christianity. And I was listening and I was arguing with him. And at some point along there, Matt, I said the stupidest thing that, I, that maybe I've ever said in my life. At one point, he was wearing me down with his argument about the resurrection, you know, that the evidence for the resurrection having actually occurred in time and space and at one point I, in frustration i said i said bob I, I said okay look jesus rose from the dead all right i accept that i believe that i just don't care the st stupidest thing anyone could say right but anyway during that time i began to pick up these books on apologetics so i remember very well c.s lewis's books all of them I remember John Warwick Montgomery's Christianity and History. I remember Josh McDowell, Evidence that Demands a Verdict, you know, the cross with a big gavel, you know, judge's gavel. I started pouring into this literature and reading it. And I began to think, now I'm doing all this in secret. I don't want my brother to know, my sister to know, my I don't want anyone to know that I'm reading about Christianity. So Bob is the only one who knows. But during this time, the thought begins to strike me that this stuff could be true. I mean, wow, this stuff could actually have happened. And so, again, hiding from everyone I knew, I picked up the Bible. In my bedroom, I began to read the Bible, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, reading the book of Acts. And, you know, it's hard for me to remember now because I know the Bible so well, but most of what I was reading I had never heard before. Most of it I had never heard before. The stories were new, especially in the book of Acts. I, I knew nothing. And I remember reading about Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and reading about how he was breathing out threats and murders against the Christians. He was standing by when Stephen was stoned to death. Um, he was going and trying to r round up Christians everywhere he could. And then, of course, the story of his trip to Damascus and what happened. And then I read his letter to the Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians, you know, somewhere along there, okay, somewhere around Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians or some, somewhere around there. I was reading and I was thinking, wow, Saul of Tarsus hated the Christians. He wanted them dead. And now I'm reading this guy and he's writing these letters to churches and the letters are like, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, we're at Colossae, grace to you in peace. I love you in Christ. And you know, and he's, he's pouring out his life for these people. He's, he, he's been completely changed. And right about then, I remember just basically, I, I was laying on my bed reading this stuff and I remember just sitting up bolt upright in my bed and, and and just thinking i'm a christian i believe this stuff i believe it 
Okay, a couple weeks goes by, or go by, and my dad comes over to visit. And he just comes in to say hi or whatever. And when he's leaving, he gets in the car, and, and I walked out to the car. And I looked in through the driver's side window, and I said, hey, Dad. I said, would you pick me up for church on Sunday? And he didn't even turn his head to look at me. He just stared straight ahead, hands on the steering wheel, and he nodded. He couldn't even talk. And he drove away. So anyway, he comes and he picks, he picks me up. Now, you, you got to remember, since my mom and dad divorced, there was all this distance between us. I didn't have a relationship with my dad. He had never talked to me about anything important. He had never talked to me about the divorce, never talked to me about anything. And I had never talked to him about anything important. So we're driving to church, and he's not asking me what's going on, and I'm not telling him. It's just silent. We go to church, Grace Baptist Church again, where I'd gone when I was 10. Same one? This is the same church? Oh, yeah. He was a member there. He was an elder there by now. You know, (laughs) he was one of the big, big shots sitting in the second pew, you know, and. uh, Even after all those years of smoking cigars in the parking lot, they let him be an elder later on. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's even worse than that. You'll find out soon. But uh, um, (laughs) so so I go to church and they're announcing that day a father son retreat coming up and so when we were leaving at the end of the service i said to my dad i said hey do you want to go to that and he said yeah sure you know sure so again he doesn't know what i'm doing he doesn't know what i'm thinking he doesn't know why i'm asking these things and he's too afraid to ask me i guess and i'm not telling him but a couple weeks go by we're in the car we're driving up to a forest home again the same campsite for a father-son retreat and you know there's like 400 men there well, even though I didn't tell him anything, the pastor of the church got me aside and they wanted to, he, he wanted to know what's going on. And so I told him what had happened in my life. And he says to me, Matt, this is like out of a weird uh, movie or something. He says to me, would, would you get up tomorrow morning at breakfast and share your story to the group? I, oh, I said, okay. So the next morning, it's like these 400 men in this big breakfast hall all eating. And uh, I got up to the microphone. He he invited me up, and I told these guys what had happened to me. And um, and uh, I remember looking over while I was speaking. And I was preaching a little bit of a sermon too on "I am the way, the truth, and the life." It's like I broke out into <laughs> I broke out into this little sermon about how how. Uh, you know how the Did you play your accordion. Said, you weren't playing the accordion at this point, were you? I mean, <laughs> no. But I said something like, I, "I'm sure I picked it up from one of the apologetics books." I said something like, "You know, the Buddha said, you know, I found the way. Follow me." Muhammad said, "I've been revealed. You know, the truth. You should believe what I believe." Only Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and life." Follow. Anyway, I looked over, and my dad was just face down on the breakfast table, sobbing. Seth probably won't cut that out either, so I'm in for it. That's right. He should, we gotta, this is good stuff, man. I'm loving okay, it. This is incredible. My dad incredible was sobbing stuff. like a three-year-old, three-year-old child at, at the table. So any, anyway, and he still didn't ask me separately to talk about this. It was just happening. Well, anyway, 
here's the culmination. The last night of the retreat, all the men from our that had come from our church, you know, the men from various churches gathered together for a final night in in their own cabin, in kind of like a little cabin comp conference room or a big room, and uh, all the men from our church were there. And I think there were about I'm I'm, I'm seeing the room now about about twenty five or thirty men were there. And, uh, you, you know, we were asked, you know, share your experiences. What did you learn here? What did you gain or something like that? And, he, and here's the thing. My dad began to talk. Some other men said some things. But then my dad began to talk. And my dad talked a long time. And this became the center of everything. And what he was doing was he was talking about his life. He talked about how he had been married and divorced four times. And I don't think I even knew, Matt, I don't think I even knew that my mother was his fourth wife. You know, I, I didn't know he had three before her. And um, so he talked about that. He talked about his alcoholism. I remember him talking about how he used to come home some nights so drunk that he would get out of the car and he would try to crawl across the front lawn and he would pass out on the porch and he wake up in the morning, he said, with like the sun shining in his eye, you know, in his eyes. Um, he said some other things, but uh, you know, he was making his confession and he was using this venue to do it. And the thing is, I knew that he was making his confession to me. So I'm sitting there sort of like I am now and I, I'm looking down and I'm just trembling. I'm, I, I couldn't believe what was happening. And all of a sudden I hear a noise, like a rustling sound and I looked up and all the men in the room who knew what was happening, knew, knew what my dad was doing, they were all his good friends, you know, they'd been to church together for years and knew about me and knew what was happening between us. All these men are getting up out of their chair and they were walking over and they walked over to me and threw their arms around me, like 10, 15 guys. And the only time I've ever done something like this in my entire life, Matt, because I'm pretty, uh, I, I don't know what the right word is, but I don't do things like this. I freaked out. I pushed them away. I couldn't take it. I pushed them all away and I ran out of the room. I blasted. And I ran down from the cabin along the river where I was, could be alone, it was dark, and I basically just threw myself down into the sand by, uh, by the river, and now I was sobbing like a child. And I was, it was just such an amazingly powerful moment in my life. And, and all I could say was, I, I, I kept saying, Lord, I can't believe that you love me like this. said it again and again and then it's like out of a out of, out of a totally like the corniest Billy Graham movie you can imagine I remember I looked up I'm down in the sand I looked up and across the river there was a big cross on the hill with light shining <laughs> <laughs> true though that's what happened and um it's so funny the way that you're describing all of this too and the uh, I guess the the forum that was created for this to take place, 
Um, you know, some people that, you know, know you and I, uh, you know, from the things we've done and in the Catholic world, you know, would say, you know, you converts, I don't understand why, you know, you guys are so on fire about, you know, sharing your faith and talking about what the Lord's done in mm-hmm. your life. And, you know, I look back on, you know, some of the ways that I was raised and, and, and just even an experience like you, you were fresh, man. You were a baby in the faith. And they were like, why don't you get up and tell everybody what's going on, right? Get up and testify, <laughs> right? I, know. I mean, this is uh, this is kind of the, the worlds that you and I were, were in. You know, mine was more of a revivalist Methodist and yours was Baptist. Yeah. But the, the theme is this theme is solid. It's the Lord's done a work and you go tell people. Um, even if it's just this room full of guys, right? Um, and that telling that you told empowered your father to tell what he told. And it just, it's, it's a, it's a snowball effect. And, and people wonder where all the life in these communities comes from. It's, it's, it, it, it runs on that kind of energy. Um, it absolutely it, does. When something happens to you, you mm-hmm. talk about it, even if somebody else making you mm-hmm. talk about it. And you know, uh, some may understand this and some may think that this is totally crazy, but I'm telling you the truth. My father and I never even talked about that evening after afterward. I never said anything to him. He never said anything to me. It was all unsaid. That 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 is the kind of, I don't know, distance or something that existed in, in our relationship where in that forum he was able to make his confession to me that he never would have made face to face. He wouldn't have known how to do it, or, or he couldn't have done it, and uh, and he never did it after that. But um, that's the story of how I came to the Lord. So I came home from that camp on fire, and uh, I'm going to leave it there and and pick up there in our next uh, session together. Well, that's a great place to leave it, and um, I know you've shared some of this because uh, you've been on the journey home a couple of times. Uh, sharing, sharing this, and I know you've written various pieces of this, uh, but there's some stuff that you shared today that I've never heard before, um, and uh, that's pretty I, cool. I, it's pretty cool stuff. I can, rem- I can remember telling the entire dad theme only one time um, very early on in, in my after I became Catholic, you know. Um, it, it's never been a part of my usual conversion story because, you know, usually you have 45 minutes to tell the whole thing. And so, yeah, um, well, anyway. now you got five episodes, Ken. <laughs> so uh, at, at we'll least, see. At least. We'll see what other things okay. we uncover. I'm, I'm guessing that there are probably some people uh, listening right now who've had similar experiences in their own life, maybe even their with their own parents. Um, if you've uh, got some thoughts on that, or maybe if you were if you came to the Lord in that era and remember, you know, the way things were um, in, in those kind of environments, the, the circumstances that brought you. Uh, to believe in Christ, I'd love to hear from some of some of the the viewers and listeners as to some of those experiences. Um, feel free to mention them in the comments. Feel free to come over to chnetwork.org, um, hear more stories, uh, hear different angles on Ken's story, even. But uh, if you want to come discuss uh, with other people who are uh, sharing these kinds of things in a, uh, a sort of a closed forum where we can all um, you know kind of have some privacy and you know, kind of like that room full of guys that you were in where you had that relative privacy and were able to kind of facilitate <laughs> a proper spilling of the guts, uh, they come over to our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. Um, that's great stuff, Ken, man. I'm, you got me fired up. I uh, can't wait. To, what, what do we, where can we possibly go from there next week? Well, remember, this is 
this is story is going to be the convert my the story of my conversion to the Catholic faith. So we got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Well, uh, in the meantime, um, thank you again, Ken. And uh, you're welcome. I'm excited about next week. Uh, until then, have a great one. We'll okay, catch you on goodbye. the flip side. Okay. <laughs>